May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So as I was telling the children, we are uh, continuing with our truncated story of Job, and as ever, I would love to plug reading the book of Job, because we've skipped most of it now, um, and it's very interesting to read and very thought-provoking, so I commend it to you, but I'll bring you up to speed. So we were introduced, you know, just so that we know what's happening, we're all on the same page. So we know that Job is a righteous man and that he's never done a thing wrong in his life. And we know that God and the Satan have a bet, which is the Satan says, I'm going to ruin Job's life. And God, I bet you that Job won't be righteous anymore. And I bet you that Job will curse you. And God is like, I'll take that bet. So that's what happens. The Satan ruins Job's life, and Job refuses to stop being righteous. He refuses. His wife is like, curse God and die. And he's like, no. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his wife and his children. He's lost his livestock. He's lost his health. He's sitting in the town square covered in ashes and suffering, and he still will not curse God and die. And Job has some of the world's worst friends. They keep coming to him and being like, Job, you clearly had to have done something wrong, or God would not be doing this to you. Just admit it, and everything will be fine. And Job is like, no, guys, I didn't do anything wrong. This is messed up. I don't deserve this. And gradually, they're not friends anymore because these people can't listen to Job. They just keep expressing their predetermined idea of how the world works. They can't take in any new information. It's not great. So Job finally is at the end of his rope, and we get to where he is today, which is where he's yelling at God. And like I said to the kids, that's very valid of him to do. And uh, we will hear some of God's response to Job next week, but I will spoil you in uh, say that God does not answer Job's questions. God does not explain anything to Job's satisfaction or indeed to the satisfaction of the reader, which is one of the things that makes Job one of the least popular books in the Hebrew Bible <laughs> for most people. And I think that any of you who are listening who know me at all will not be surprised to find that I love the book of Job. <laughs> and this is going to be another one of those... Um, reverentory experiences where I ask you to sit with your discomfort. So we're doing this. So the book of Job is one of those books that is not popular because it is so challenging. And it's challenging because in, when you read Job, and, I and like I said, I hope you do, it's really hard not to see yourself in Job's friends. Because it is much more comfortable to see the world as a place that has rules, where things work a certain way, where if you just do all the right things and observe all the right rules, then good things will happen to you. It's a lot more comfortable to assume that because someone is suffering, they must have done something to deserve it. And what the book of Job does is force us to acknowledge that that is not, in fact, the world we live in, is it? Bad things happen to all kinds of people. And the kinds of things that happen to Job 
Job or something that no one could really deserve. And so we're left kind of wondering, well, okay, what kind of world is this that we live in, and what kind of God is this that we're talking about if this is what's happening here? And so I think a very human response to this is to pretend the book of Job doesn't exist and not think about it very much. Really, no judgment. This is very uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable thing to think about. It's an uncomfortable thing to acknowledge. And the, our reading from the letter to the Hebrews today, I think, expresses this very well in that it says that the word of God is living and active and is sharper than a two-edged sword. Sometimes listening to the truth, either from God's word in the Bible or from listening to God in our lives, makes us feel as laid bare and naked as the writer of the letter of, to the Hebrews is saying. It is very difficult to acknowledge the truth of the world and our place in it. It is much easier to continue in happy ignorance like the friends of Job, or even like Job himself who even though all of this has happened to him, just keeps thinking that there must have been some mistake and that if he can just pin God down and talk to God, that God will apologize and fix everything. And again, alas, that is not the world in which we live. It is a fundamental truth of human experience that even though we can know God and experience God's presence, we cannot understand God. God and the world that God made is bigger than we are and is beyond our full comprehension, which is very challenging for a species that's evolved to do a lot of thinking and comprehension and rationalizing about things. So where does that leave us? Am I just going to, I'm not, I promise I'm not just going to turn around and walk away leaving you in this place because, because our tradition has actually provided us with some help here. God does show up and talk to Job, and God does not answer Job's questions. However, God is not simply uh, represented by this one book in the Bible, and we have a long history of the way that God is in relationship with people to help us understand the character of God, even if we can't understand God fully. And what the letter to the Hebrews reminds us is that we also have Jesus Christ, who, like Job, was a human being without any flaw. He did not do anything wrong. He was perfectly righteous, but suffered anyway. So, yes, we have a God who is huge, infinite, kind of terrifying and beyond our comprehension, but we also have a God who loves us enough to take on this most human experience of being totally innocent and suffering anyway. And so we can approach God with confidence that our flaws, our foibles, our concerns will be understood by God. And that is very good. This doesn't only absolve us, however. Like the rich young man in our gospel reading today, sometimes the experience of being totally known by God can still be pretty uncomfortable. I am so struck by this reading because in the gospel of Mark, Jesus acts loving a lot, but the writer doesn't really describe Jesus as loving people very often. But with this person, who I think most of us in the United States and um, other wealthy countries in this world 
could probably quite easily relate to. The writer, Mark, takes the trouble to say that Jesus loved him. So before he uh, tells this man who, by the way, he, he asserts that he is totally righteous and without sin, and I have to say, my dude, I do not believe you for one minute. But Jesus is like, that's fine. You can, you can believe you followed every commandment. That's okay. Before he tells him this thing that he knows is going to be very hard for him to hear, that he might not be able to do, but that he knows he needs to hear anyway, we hear that Jesus saw him and that he loved him. So what I would like to invite us all into this morning is to think about this week and pray about what are the things in our lives, what are the truths about the world and our role in it that are too uncomfortable for us to truly admit to ourselves? What are the things that we would prefer to never think about and not admit because doing so would make us feel naked and laid bare before the one to whom we have to give an account? Because as the letter to the Hebrew reminds us, God knows us and loves us and we can come boldly before the throne of grace with the assurance that we will in fact receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Amen.